Huge thank you to uh, Elder Chris Rhodes for sharing the message for us last Sunday. So Danelle and I could be uh, away visiting kids and grandkids up in the great Pacific Northwest. It was raining down here. It wasn't raining in Seattle while we were there. Um, that doesn't usually happen, but, uh, but it happened this time. So uh, we were glad to be away for a few days. And huge thank you to Chris, wonderful communicator. It's great to have elders who are um, so serious about their faith, uh, so dedicated to the Lord, and, and so gifted to uh, share uh, God's word with us. So, um, you know, if you, if you look up church elder in the dictionary, I think you might see Chris Rhodes' picture in there. Um, is this the end of the world? Uh, a few uh, of my neighbors and I were gathered on our street out in the evening. Um, what was that? Yeah, it was like midnight. And we were gathered out on the street because it was right after those big earthquakes that we had that seemed to come out of nowhere and they were big. I mean, stuff got knocked over. So in the middle of the night, a bunch of neighbors were just sort of out there on the street and my neighbor, guy across the street, knew I was a pastor and he wanted to know if I thought there was some deeper meaning behind these freakish jolts of seismic activity. And so with some measure of seriousness, he asked me, is this the end of the world? And uh, what would you have said to your neighbor if they had asked you that? Well, 2,000 years ago, folks in Thessalonica were apparently concerned that the end had come or was very near. They had heard some uh, supposed prophecies uh, to that effect. And of course, they had that letter from the Apostle Paul, what we now know as 1 Thessalonians, that uh, spent quite a bit of time talking about exactly what was going to happen when Jesus came back on the clouds and then lifted up the living and the dead uh, up with him into the sky. And it all seemed so near to them. Maybe Jesus had already come. Maybe the day of the Lord had already arrived, as the new prophets of the day were saying. Well, Paul gets word that his friends in Thessalonica are freaking out. That's a modern translation of quickly shaken in mind or, or alarmed, a phrase you'll hear in just a second. Because they'd heard that Jesus had returned. And he writes 2 Thessalonians largely in order to assure them that A, Jesus has not returned yet, and B, God is still in control of things despite all appearances and rumors to the contrary. So our neighbors ask us, is this it? Is the end coming? How do we respond? I would suggest that it would be good for us to listen well to what Paul said 2,000 years ago. He has some tremendous insights for us and for our neighbors. Hear the word of God, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, 
For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive this good news and that you might help us to receive it not only for ourselves but also for those that you would call us to share with that others too might know the good things that you have for us in your word. Who you are, what you are doing, how you relate to your world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you want to follow along in the, the sermon outline I've given you, I'm going, to, I'm going to go through these sets of truths. I think that there are a handful of truths that we find here that are quite significant that Paul uh, gives us in this chapter. And the first one is this, what I call the assuring truth. Evil is not prevailing, neither by darkness nor by might. Why do you suppose the Thessalonians were shaken in mind? Why were they freaking out? And I would suggest that though it doesn't explicitly say this in the text, the, the, the assumption, I think the safe assumption for us to make is that, that they're, they're shaken because of fear. That, that usually is behind when we're kind of nervous or freaking out. There's some kind of fear. Perhaps, likely, it has to do with the fear of being in the dark. There are major events occurring, and we are clueless about them. Maybe Jesus has come back, but we didn't know it. Anything behind that or together with that is, is the fear of malevolent powers. Forces are at work to harm us. Jesus has returned, but something is keeping him away from us. And these somethings maybe are going to prevail against us. 
We have similar fears, don't we? Being in the dark, missing vital information. Something significant is going on and I don't know about it. Being at the mercy of dark and merciless forces that will prevail against us. Strong human villains, disease, evil powers, our own sin. Paul quickly writes to assure his friends, evil is not prevailing. Neither through darkness or ignorance, nor as an independent power against God and his goodness. Jesus has not returned. This is not the end. And we know this because God has told us that certain events must take place first, and they haven't taken place yet. Verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. God is still in control, rest assured. Our knowledge is properly limited. We're not God. Never will be, never were supposed to be. Our, our knowledge is properly limited, but always adequate. We don't know and won't know everything, but God will see to it that we know what we need to know when we need to know it. Trust in Him. It is enough. This leads then, though, to what I call the disturbing truth that God reveals here. Things will get worse before they get perfect. When the man of lawlessness, and by the way, this is the same biblical figure that's known in other scriptures as the Antichrist. Virtually every commentator is saying that this man of lawlessness that Paul's talking about in 2 Thessalonians is the same one who is called the Antichrist in Revelation and various other places. Same guy, and when he comes, the times will be marked by widespread rebellion against God. He will claim God's throne, demanding and receiving divine honor and worship. He will be the agent and the beneficiary of powerful deception that will lead people who for their own reasons are inclined to believe lies to reject what is right and true. He will be the very embodiment of lawlessness. No rule of law. No common reason and civility. Just his way or the way of becoming a necessary casualty. It will seem that evil has been unleashed. But here is the transcendent truth. And by the way, before we leave that one, I know as we talk about this man of lawlessness and widespread rebellion against God, some of you are probably thinking to yourself, that sounds a whole lot like today. Well, and, and you know, People in Paul's day could have said the same thing. I mean, there were various figures in history who had been really bad and done really bad things, claiming to be God and those sorts of things. And as bad as it is, as it was then, as bad as it is today, what Paul seems to be saying pretty clearly is, yeah, as bad as that was, it will be worse. But here's the transcendent truth. Evil is never unleashed. Let me say that again. Evil is never unleashed. What appears to be the unleashing of evil will not be. 
It will be the unfolding of God's plan according to God's good purposes and God's will. It will be accomplishing God's purposes. It will be revealing God's truth. Evil is always limited. It only ever operates under the sovereign power of God. The man of lawlessness arrives when God allows him to arrive. And he has his way only for the limited time God allows him. Unprecedented evil will play a role at the end of time, but only when and how God allows according to his own good purposes. Fingerprint of God. Yesterday's devotional reading, the text, the arrest of Jesus in the garden, is all about this. It offers some wonderful clues about how this works. Jesus being arrested in the garden, the forces of evil, men who are against God, against Jesus, who are coming to arrest him. Eventually they're going to crucify him. And they show up in the garden, and you may remember the story, and some of you read it yesterday, and if you didn't, read it, read it today. Catch up. But, but they come into the garden, and there's swords and stuff, and Jesus' followers say, well, shall we take up swords? And actually one of them, Peter, the ready, fire, aim apostle, cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest coming to arrest Jesus. We're going we're to resist these guys. Maybe he thought, you know, I'll just take the first one and then the, the legions of heaven are going to come down and, and help in the, in the fight. Didn't happen. In fact, something very strange happened. Jesus says, I'm paraphrasing here, but put him away. We're not going to sink to the level of everybody else. We don't play by the world's rules. We've got something way higher and way better to do here, friends. And then he does something else rather remarkable. He heals the guy's ear, puts it back on, refastens it. That's power. And in the midst of all this, when they're going to come and drag Jesus away for mock trial and eventually to be crucified, who's in control in this moment? Jesus is. He's in absolute control. It doesn't look like it. He looks like he's the guy that's at the mercy of everybody else. But he is in control. And he says this. In the midst of this encounter, he says this. And you can read it for yourself. This is your hour when darkness reigns. Okay. Take me away. This is, and let me, let me read it again with my emphasis. This is your hour when darkness reigns. You get an hour. Tick, tick, tick. And when that hour is over, I am going to say, done, and you are going to be done. Absolutely done. Another picture of this. God's in control, even when it doesn't look like it. And by the way, what was happening when Jesus was being arrested? God's plan of redemption was unfolding. Jesus was indeed going to be crucified. It was the worst thing that ever happened in history, the worst crime ever committed. The living God, the sinless man, crucified as a horrible criminal. And it was the best thing that ever happened for us. As the living God, God the Son, chose to take our place and pay our penalty. The forces of evil that thought they, that was their moment and they were in control, even in their moment, were doing God's bidding. Tell the neighbors, there will be an end to the world, but not until God says so. 
And when God does say so, the time will be right and we will know it. If you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are not sure if Jesus has returned, He hasn't. You can quote me on that. If you need some guy on television to tell you that Jesus has returned because you didn't know it, don't believe them. We will know. I don't know when, and you don't either. But when it happens, Jesus himself said it'd be like lightning in the sky. I don't know about you, but at night, when there's lightning in the sky, it's pretty obvious. Excuse me, was there lightning in the sky? You know, everything was dark, and then all of a sudden there was light. And there was this flash across the sky. Was there lightning? You bet. And the important thing then, when Jesus returns, as always, will be our connection to God because of his love for us, demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And seen in our faith and trust in Christ, demonstrated in the actions of our lives. This leads to the practical truth. Victory is not achieved when we get what we want, but when we become what God wants. The man of lawlessness, also known as the Antichrist, provides for us a powerful anti-example. He is described like this. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This one wants to get what he wants. And he wants everything. All the way to taking the place of God. And he gets a lot. But he doesn't get what he wants. He ends in a place of absolute helplessness before the power of Jesus Christ. He ends in absolute defeat. He ends in eternal death. The Antichrist's anti-example is an important warning for modern man. Futilely attempting to usurp the place of God, pretending to be the measure of all things. The Antichrist's anti-example is an important one for modern man to heed. And then there is the assuring truth. The, the second assuring truth, which sort of is the, the bookend for the first one. Evil is not prevailing. And God's ultimate victory is as certain as his creation. Let me ask you this. Any of you unsure of God's creation? And again, I'm not, it's beyond the scope of our, of our um, time here together to, to offer evidence or argue creationism versus versus evolutionism or any of those sorts of things, um, or how they work together, God's over all of it. But just the fact that there is creation. Anyone, anyone not sure about that? Is there a creation? Yeah. Uh, hello? Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking there, I'm thinking there is a real creation. Yeah, look out the window. L- look, look next to you. Any doubt that there is an actual creation. Not much, right? Pretty sure. God's victory is sure like that. And let me, let me show you. There's this amazing verse. There's a key verse 
in which Paul, I think, gives assurance of God's power over all circumstances and over all time in a powerful way. And it's beautifully understated in this text. How does the ultimate opponent of God and of God's goodness and order meet his demise? In a manner reminiscent of how all creation came into being. Do you remember the story? And God said, spoke, God said, let there be. He spoke, and boom, creation happened. The power of the Word of God. God creates by speaking. He creates ex nihilo, out of nothing. There's nothing, and God says, let there be something, and there is something. It's a beautiful picture of the power of God, creative power of God. He says, let there be, and there is. Something similar happens in this text. How does this ultimate enemy of God, at some point in history, meet his demise in a way similar to that. Listen to this, verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. By the breath of his mouth. Jesus simply appears and the lawless one is done. Now. No muscle flexing, no arduous duel, no epic battle, no cinematic struggle. Jesus says, let there not be. And the Antichrist is no more. And so the Thessalonians and we are assured that it is this same voice of ultimate power that has called us through our gospel so that we may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The same voice that said, let there be in creation was, the same voice that speaks to evil and evil is done, is the same voice that spoke saying, you belong to me, calling us to himself, And with the same kind of power, so it is. Yes, the world will end one day. Tell the neighbors. But not until God has lovingly gathered in all those he has effectually called to himself and to his glory through the gospel. And still the world turns... So apparently there are still more to be gathered in to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tell the neighbors. It might be them. And so maybe earthquakes, lawless men and the like are part of God's loving plan. Signs to help us see that the world is coming to an end one day. And he wants us to be with him when it does. The end of the world does not come until God says so. The same God who says we believers are loved and saved. And so finally, the Thessalonians and we are inspired to stand firm and hold to the traditions we have been taught through our faith in Christ, as he establishes us in every good work 
and word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your good word, your presence and power in our lives and over all of life, in our time and over all time, in the circumstances that have led us to be here in your house and over all circumstances. Lord, we are so grateful that you are good and you are great. And that goodness and greatness is working itself out even in our midst and even to our ultimate benefit despite what sort of challenges and difficulties we might see today. Lord, may we know that assurance of your goodness and your grace and your power and live in that strength. I pray this for me. I pray this for us. In Jesus' name, amen.